The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with the whipsaw week for stocks set to resume after a rough session for Wall Street yesterday and new concerns over the U.S. banking sector. And a similar picture over in Europe. As Italy, it actually backtracks on a historic windfall tax that sends shares of its biggest banks sinking. Also, in China, deflation fears front and center, with new inflation data coming in worse than expected. Plus, Disney set to report results after the bell, announcing a major sports betting deal with Penn Entertainment. And then later in the show, the White House reportedly set to release new investment restrictions tied to China. It is Wednesday, August the 9th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we'll kick it off with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we are seeing them in the green across the board. The Dow looks like it opened up about 80 points higher right now. The Nasdaq, more than a third of a percent higher in the pre-market. This after a pretty rough session for stocks yesterday. Investors still digesting the fallout for the U.S. banking sector following that Moody's downgrade that sent shares of major U.S. financials sinking. We're talking Goldman Sachs closing more than 2 percent lower Bank of America, almost 2%. City down 1.5%. Same story for Wells Fargo. J.P. Morgan largely spared in this situation. This morning, we're seeing a bit of a mixed picture. So take a look at how the stocks are performing right now in the pre-market. We're seeing some of them still in the red. As you can see right now, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, fractionally lower. However, a bit of a rebound when it comes to some of the other names. Bank of America, almost a half a percent higher. Wells Fargo up one quarter of a percent. Right now, we're also checking the bond market. As always, we start with the benchmark 10-year yield right now at 4.01, about 10 basis points lower than it was just a week ago. We've also seen the the short end of the curve also decline a bit. The 30-year tick up very slightly. All right, turning back to banks and developing story out of Europe, Italy appears to be backtracking on yesterday's surprise announcement of a 40% windfall tax on profits of its biggest banks. That news sent those bank shares sinking. Our Irabile Gumide joins us now from London. With much more on this story, Erbile, good morning. Good morning, Frank. You're certainly right. That story has been making uh, waves then across the night then into this early morning trading picture. And it has turned from what we saw yesterday. This is the story. Italy's finance ministry saying that it will cap its planned windfall tax on banks' net interest income to 0.1% of risk-weighted assets. And what it says is an attempt to safeguard the financial stability of lenders. Now, the cap has been set at a fifth of the level analysts from Citi previously saw the tax reaching. This, this comes after the shares then in Italian banks did fall sharply yesterday on that original announcement 
in that trading picture. So it did hurt quite a few of these then. Uh, Italy's biggest bank in Tesla, San Paolo, yesterday losing quite significantly, back up a three and a third of a percent to recover somewhat uh, of yesterday's trades. Four and a half percent gained then for Unicredit, which also was down quite substantially. In fact, all of these were down a lot yesterday, more than three percent gained across the board there. So a recovery is in play. But the question is just how much, Frank? Our Arabile, thank you very much. Our Arabile Gumede, live in our London newsroom. Sticking with that overseas action, China reporting July inflation overnight, fueling fears of a deflationary problem in the world's second largest economy. Our Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with much more on this story. Eunice? Thanks a lot, Frank. Well, the, unlike the U.S. and Europe, China is struggling with falling prices. Uh, for July, uh, both for consumer prices and the PPI, uh, we saw uh, drops into deflation territory. The CPI came in at uh, minus 0.3 percent year on year and PPI uh, minus 4.4 percent. Uh, the PPI was uh, slightly worse than expected. The s- consumer prices a little bit better than expected. Even so, uh, this has been fueling a lot of debate as as to just how long we would see this uh, weakness in prices. A lot of people have been pointing to the food and uh, the core CPI for July, which was the highest since January. So that strips out some of the food and energy prices. Also, China itself has been downplaying the concerns, saying that consumer prices are likely going to tick up by the end of the year. Still others are saying that the the services inflation was a little bit better, especially when it comes to tourism, up by 13.1 percent from a year ago. However, of course, uh, the big concern is about the slump in domestic demand, especially uh, given that the export figures were also very, very weak, surprising many around the world about what this means both for uh, the domestic demand as well as the, the demand for Chinese goods overseas. And Frank, spelling a, a lot of trouble ahead uh, for the Chinese economy. All right, Eunice, thank you very much. Our Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. All right, let's stick with the markets and turn back to what's happening on Wall Street. Joining me now, Degas Wright, founder, CEO, and CIO of Decatur Capital, as well as a CNBC contributor. Degas, it is great to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be you, Frank. Um, I want to circle back to one of our big stories, the financial sector. I know it's something you've been watching as well. So bank stocks, they dropped on that Moody's downgrade. But when you look at both the KRE and the KBE, over the last week, they're still positive. So following that downgrade and some of the warnings of a downgrade of even the bigger banks like a J.P. Morgan and Citi, What's your view on financials? Yeah, so my view on financials is that we're actually in a recovery mode. Because if you think about it, we had the Fitch downgrade a few weeks ago. Same thing happened with the banks. We're hearing the same thing with Moody's now. So what we're going to see is that the banks are going to recover from this. Uh, Now, banks are still down some 24, 25 percent since the beginning of the year. But we still think that this is a time to get into banks. And we're starting to really start to invest back into banks in this period. All right. So obviously this week we have CPI coming up, closely watched inflation gauge by the Fed. What are your expectations for CPI? How do you see it moving the markets, especially if it comes in hotter than expected? Looking at the CME right now, more than 85 percent chance of a pause, according to the CME. How much of what we're seeing in the markets, a little disruption lately, but is it based on the idea that we've reached the end of this hiking cycle? Well, Frank, you know, we definitely have seen the most of the, uh, the hikes already. What we're seeing is that we still have that sticky CPI that we really look at because the Atlanta Fed did a lot of work on the sticky CPI and flexible CPI. The sticky CPI is starting to come down. Mm -hmm. So we could see that the Fed could do one more or two more rate hikes. So we're still seeing that 
the Fed needs to control that sticky CPI. Sticky CPI is still at about a 5.8, and we want to get that down lower. So wait, you're saying we're near the end, but you're saying there might be one or two more. That doesn't sound like we're that close to the end. Then. Well, but we've seen most of the uh, hikes already. OK. You know, we we went a long way. But you don't think one hike or two hikes makes a big difference. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. All right. Very, very interesting. I think, you know, it seems like there's some stress on the markets right now. But if you're saying you don't believe that. So um, as we look ahead to today and, and the rest of this week, where do you see opportunities in the market? Well, we see opportunities is that we're looking at international markets also because we see a lot of value. Let's talk about India. You know, we, we started off talking about China and the problems there. What's happening in India, India is actually benefiting from that because you're seeing a relocation of manufacturing from China to India. You have strong uh, middle class growth there. You have GDP growth over 7%, plus you have a skilled labor market. So we are seeing some benefits there. ICIC Bank, a uh, bank that's uh, benefiting from that. And so we're looking at those international markets now because ICIC Bank has really strong earnings expectations and revenue expectations going forward. It has a return on tangible equity of about 15%. Really? So we really like that stock. Right, so interesting. Looking for opportunities in India. Something yes. to watch. All right, Digas Wright, it is great to have you here. Thanks for being right here in the studio. Always Thank great you. to see you. Great. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Hey, friend, good morning. Disney striking a $2 billion deal with Penn Entertainment and its Barstool Sportsbook, which will now be known as ESPN Bet starting this fall. Now, as part of the 10-year agreement, Disney will receive $1.5 billion in cash and warrants worth about $500 million to purchase shares of Penn. The stock is soaring in the pre-market hours. We'll talk more about this deal and what it means for the gaming sector when we speak with the CEO of Flutter Parent Company of FanDuel later this hour. President Biden reportedly set to sign a new executive order today that will ban private equity and venture capital investments in some Chinese technology companies dealing in chips, quantum computing and AI. The move is an effort to prevent Beijing from developing cutting edge tech for its military, but critics argue it will have the opposite effect. And Amazon is reportedly in talks about joining a consortium of other technology companies, including Intel and NVIDIA, to become an anchor investor in SoftBank's upcoming ARM IPO. ARM plans to list on the Nasdaq in early September, according to the reports, seeking to raise 8 to $10 billion, Frank. Yeah, that could certainly be a big deal. Savannah, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, OPEC on alert as China dips into deflation. What that could mean for oil prices here at home, RBC's Halima Croft is here in the house to explain. Plus, from $47 billion to $300 million, the latest chapter in the downfall of WeWork just written. We're going to have much more on that story coming up. And then later, getting ready for Disney and what, if anything, this stock can do to get out of its recent slump. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are watching the price of oil this morning. You see it's up, uh, WTI up almost 1%, Brent crude just a tick lower. Uh, and this is, these numbers coming in this morning on the heels of that weaker, weaker than expected Chinese inflation data and growing fears of deflation. Taking over the world's second largest economy, the news likely adding conviction to the decision by Saudi Arabia and Russia to cut oil exports through at least September. Those cuts coming as they look to make up for the apparent demand shortfall. So actually seeing oil prices higher, a little counterintuitive right now, Halima. So give us a sense. I, w- I want to go through these cuts from Russia and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi's extending a one million barrel cut, maybe even deepening. Russia, 300,000 barrels. What does that mean for the global oil market? And is this upside action we're seeing? Is that a direct result? I mean, I think that the Saudis have been very, very clear that they are going to do whatever it takes or back in draggy mode to essentially get this oil recovery to remain on track through the end of the year. What I think is so interesting, Frank, is with the Chinese economic data out this morning, you would think that oil would be potentially softer. But again, I think it just speaks to the strength of the Saudi action in terms of the supply cuts. All right. So when it comes to prices, we're seeing you know a bit of a boost this morning long term. Is this what could possibly push us up to maybe that 90 bucks a barrel range? I mean, certainly if the macro fears recede, I mean, you always have to look at this China story. I mean, that has been one of the headwinds for oil. There has been this big expectation of China back like gangbusters with the end of zero COVID. The import numbers have been solid. We had record numbers in June. Some analysts are saying, well, it's going into storage, but a barrel off the market's a barrel off the market. And so I think the Saudis have been really resolute. I mean, the fact that they said they could go deeper is an indication that they're very, very, you know, convinced that they have this in hand if they just continue with the cuts. Just to be clear, when you say import numbers for China, you're talking about oil imports. But I think a lot of people are looking at weak economic data and softening exports to the U.S. as also related to demand concerns. Well, I think the issue is, is that the question is, yes, we had record numbers in June, but softer in July for crude imports. They look pretty good, though, over the first week of August. But the question is, are that basically the China is on a buying spree because you've got cheaper Russian barrels? Are those going into storage? So is there some underlying weakness, which means that these import numbers won't hold? Again, though, the data on Chinese imports has been solid. Okay, so you're not that concerned about China. And admittedly, other people I think we're in watch are. and wait mode on China. Right. But, but other, I, other people are pretty concerned. Absolutely. And I think okay. the interest rate story has been something, again, holding people back. They're basically saying, look, we still have these existing macro concerns. And I think that's what OPEC is reacting to. They're basically saying, not out of the woods, so we're going to keep these cuts going, particularly the unilateral Saudi cuts. All right. So China's not the only area of concern, not for you, but for other people. But also, another area we have to look at, the situation in Ukraine following the collapse of the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think this is the biggest story. I'm even like jumping in right there, Frank. Jump in, please. I think end of year, the story we really need to be watching is what is happening in the Black Sea. This is a broader commodity story. The Russians pulled out of the Black Sea grain deal. Essentially, now there's a de facto embargo on Ukrainian grain exports. What has Ukraine done in response? They started attacking Russian oil tankers in the Black Sea, trying to drive up tanker rates. Not getting enough attention, I think, that it should 
I think this is an evolving story in terms of geopolitical risk in commodity markets. What's happening in terms of the Black Sea? Well, so risk often leads to, to price moves to the upside when people have concerns. So is this another factor that could push oil higher? I mean, I think this is something that White House will be concerned about. Because, again, remember the price cap policy? That was designed to keep Russian barrels on the market at a discount. If we start to see significant rise in attacks on Black Sea tankers, again, that will send insurance rates higher. What is that going to do for oil prices? So this is an area of growing concern, I think, what's happening in the Black Sea. But it's also a food story as well. Yeah, absolutely a a food story. So you mentioned it's a broader commodity story. Um, What's your outlook when it comes to wheat prices? Obviously, the Ukraine region a big uh, exporter of wheat. I mean, what's interesting is we haven't had wheat prices soaring in part because there's been an abundant Russian wheat harvest. So the Russians are essentially taking out a competitor by blocking Ukraine's exports. But again, this will be something of grave concern as we get into the, you know, this is a lasting story about basically taking Ukraine's exports off the market. That will be a concern for big importers. Here's a big importer of Ukrainian grain, China. So it'll be very interesting to see what China does in response to this Russian policy. Just like all roads lead to China. Oil, all wheat, roads lead to soybeans, China. pork. Yes. Lee McCroft, you know the question before I can even ask it. That's <laughs> why we you have so you much, here. Frank. It is always great to see you. Thanks for being here Thanks in studio. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, what Apple's planning to do with its phones that may pinch a nerve for a number of its users. Much more Worldwide Exchange back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning now to Washington and the Commerce Department updating progress on its $53 billion CHIPS Act, signed into law one year ago today. Commerce announcing it's received 460 statements of interest for funding to date and more than $230 billion in promised investment from some of those firms. Our Christina Partsinevelis taking a closer look at the CHIPS Act and the challenges that are still in its way. It's low. The $53 billion CHIPS Act celebrates one year since being signed into law, and semiconductor companies across the U.S. have promised to spend over $200 billion on chip manufacturing hubs, even though no federal funding has been awarded yet. The Commerce Department, though, is swamped with over 460 company requests and is hoping to start distributing funds by the end of this year. You know, we're, we're, I'm pushing the team to go fast, but even more important to get it right. TSMC, much like silicon carbide producer Wolfspeed, where I am right now, are able to begin construction without receiving government aid. But other chip companies have had to put their plans on hold until that chip sack funding is dispersed. The OSAT sector, the, the back-end semiconductor manufacturing sector that Integra participates in, operates on very thin margins that just don't make it possible without the chip side support to do this. But as the shovels hit the ground to begin construction, companies are realizing how difficult it is to find labor. Workforce is the predominant theme that all companies are talking about. The the ability to have a workforce that not only is passionate about semiconductor manufacturing, but uh, there's a, a pipeline that continues to produce and grow talent. 
TSMC is the first company to publicly announce they are delaying their Arizona plant production to 2025 because of a lack of skilled workers, forcing them to fly in Taiwanese workers. Their experience in the unique aspects of those tools is what we're bringing a small number of Taiwanese technicians in to be able to support and provide um, assistance. And the primary function that they will have is to train and coach and mentor the workforce in the United States. The CHIPS Act authorizes more than $13 billion for workforce training, but it'll take time to ramp up those programs and churn out skilled workers. In Siler City, North Carolina, Christina Partsnevelis, CNBC Business News. All right, time now for your big money movers. We begin with Take-Two Interactive moving higher despite missing fiscal Q1 earnings expectations. With EPS coming in at 27 cents per share compared to the estimate of 33 cents as consumers shift spending trends. Still, the company is optimistic about the outlook, saying it's confident in its game release schedule and that it sees green shoots of resurgence in the economy and the gaming industry. ZipRecruiter tumbling double digits after reporting earnings above expectations, but cautioning of softer job hiring and decreased spending on job advertisements. The company posting revenue that dropped by 29 percent and guiding towards another 34 percent year-over-year decline for the third quarter, citing ambiguity over when employers' confidence will recover. And shares of WeWork also plunging on a warning over whether the company can stay in business. The company saying in a filing that it has, quote, substantial doubt about its ability to stay afloat after losing billions of dollars building and operating its global portfolio of co-working spaces. WeWork is coming off years of headwinds following a failed IPO back in 2019 and a slump in office space demand during the pandemic. The company, which hit its peak, uh, hit a $47 billion valuation, is now set to open up the market with a market cap below $400 million. All right, still to come here on Worldwide Exchange, an exclusive with the CEO of Flutter Entertainment, parent company of FanDuel on the heels of upbeat earnings. We'll talk U.S. listing, online betting, and Penn's $2 billion deal with ESPN. We'll be back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area. There's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. A roller coaster week for stocks. It rolls on as Wall Street adds banking sector fears to its wall of worry. Futures this morning, they are higher. We're also getting set for Disney's latest earnings report. Today, as it inks, a multi-billion dollar deal to get into the online gambling space. The key numbers to watch coming up. And Italy, backtracking on its market-moving windfall bank tax. We speak with Kate Kelly from the New York Times on the global implications and what this could mean for U.S. investors. It is Wednesday, August the 9th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we're going to start with a look at U.S. stock futures right now in the green across the board. The Dow looks like it open up about 70 points higher. The Nasdaq more than a third of a percent higher right now. All this with the S&P, the Nasdaq, and the Russell coming off their fifth down day in the last six. We're also looking at the bond market this morning. As always, we start with the benchmark 10-year yield right now at 4.01, pretty much the same as where we started this show, uh, declining about 10 basis points from just a week ago. We're also looking at the energy market right now. We're seeing oil take a bit of a move to the upside this morning. We're seeing WTI at 83.64, almost a percent higher. Brent crude a tick lower at 86 point uh, and 82 cents, I should say. Natural gas up almost half a percent. We've seen some strong moves to the upside from natural gas in the last week or so. All right, now over to earnings. Watching shares of Disney moving higher in the pre-market as the company prepares to report Q3 results after the close today. The boost being helped in part by Disney's $2 billion deal with Penn Entertainment. 
Starting this September, Disney is relaunching Penn's Barstool Sportsbook as ESPN Bet. This is Disney underperforms its streaming peers up only 1% this year compared to Netflix's 48% gain and Warner Brothers up more than 52%. Let's get you the setup for the report with Alex Sherman, CNBC.com media and technology reporter. Alex, good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, Frank. Good morning. All right. Let's start off with the news that uh, news about ESPN bet. What does this mean for Disney overall as a media company now moving into the gaming space? So, look, this is something that has been speculated for several years that ESPN might license off its name with a gambling partner. Um, it, It was more prevalent when Bob Chapek was CEO. Bob Iger has been historically resistant to it. Uh, but the news is that, look, they've struck this deal with Penn Gaming. They'll be getting $150 million per year for at least the next 10 years, allowing Penn to use the ESPN bet name. And there will also be uh, some equity warrants attached to that, some sharing of ESPN talent and potentially even ESPN programming that goes along uh, with the app itself. Uh, it, bigger picture, it means that ESPN is looking for a new revenue stream. It needs cash. It's the same reason... Uh, that ESPN is thinking about bringing in a strategic partner, which is another story that uh, you know I, I and others have been reporting on for the past several weeks. That stems back from Bob Iger, CEO Bob Iger's comments to David Faber on okay. our air a few weeks ago, saying that he was interested in finding a new partner. So, Alex, clearly a lot of storylines to follow here. I just want to get to the earnings numbers very quickly. Um, revenues are forecast to increase by 5%, profit to fall by 10%, but there is a lot to talk about beyond just the numbers in this report. So uh, you listed off a few things. What's the other big storyline to watch in this earnings report and especially the call where we're going to hear from Bob Iger? Look, this is not a great time for Disney. I mean, you go segment by segment, linear advertising, not great. Subscribers to linear TV, not good. Acceleration of of cord cutting. Uh, You go to the movie studio, It's been kind of bomb after bomb for Disney. Elemental, Haunted Mansion, the Indiana Jones movie, The the Little Mermaid. All of the recent movies have not done well. Uh, ESPN is is clearly in some sort of strategic new phase here. So Disney needs to give investors a reason to once again get excited about the company. Because if you look at the current results for almost every one of their division, maybe parks aside... Uh, there's not a lot of reason for excitement. So uh, recently, the CFO, Christine McCarthy, is not there anymore. Perhaps Bob Iger does a lot of the talking on this call. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what reason he gives investors to stay with Disney, to be like, look, uh, uh, maybe we're in a lull here, but we're going to be on our way back soon. Yeah, I want to add one more. Secret Invasion, certainly no Mandalorian. So they have some issues on the TV side as well. Um, I also want to ask you about something that might generate some excitement, but not really in a good way. The news that Disney has an AI task force. Now, I imagine most companies have some type of AI task force, but the timing of this news seems less than ideal, I'll say, for Disney, uh, especially with the writers and actors on strike over some of these issues. Well, it is a big deal for Disney. AI is a bigger deal for Disney than many of its other uh, uh, peers out there because of the Marvel, it's uh, own, owning Marvel IP and Star Wars IP. And it's very easy to replicate those characters uh, in the background in ways that maybe other uh, media companies don't have to worry about. So they want to put something together right now so that they can move forward in this writer's strike to come up with an agreement that benefits both 
the writers and the actors, but also Disney. So that's sort of the importance of it. And, and look, Disney needs to become a modern media company. Uh, and again, of course, you mentioned it. Their streaming losses are, are still weighing that company down. Uh, and we don't know exactly when streaming will become profitable. So you can tick that one off also as this sort of being a lull for Disney. Even if streaming is the right. future, they need to make that a more profitable unit. Uh, so that's yet another issue for the company. Well, Alex, that, that just tells you how many issues there are. The fact that we got to Disney plus profitability and, and subs at the end of this interview. So a lot of other stuff going on with Disney. Report after the bell. Alex Sherman, always great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you all. The Federal Reserve is stepping up its oversight of banks' involvement in digital assets like cryptocurrencies. The new program will focus on banks' partnerships with firms that are not lenders, like fintech companies, and the services they provide to customers. The Fed also detailing a new process state banks need to go through to get approval for issuing, holding, or transacting in dollar-backed stablecoins. Shares of Eli Lilly coming off a record day as demand for a new diabetes drug, Manjaro, surges, surges ahead of the Fed decision on its use as weight loss treatment. CEO David Riggs reiterating that bullish outlook on Mad Money last night. It's my top priority is expanding the capacity of our ability to make uh, not just Manjaro, but other drugs like it in our pipeline to meet uh, the challenge uh, here, which is a great opportunity as well, of course. Um, people are frustrated when they can't get their medicine. We understand that, and we're going to fix that problem. Eli Lilly rival and Ozempic maker Nova Nordisk reports tomorrow. Its stock is also coming off a banner day on some upbeat clinical trials for its Wagovi obesity drug. And Apple appears to be planning to move the call hang-up button as part of its new iPhone iOS 17 operating system. In beta versions, the end call button can be found on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen instead of its usual bottom center. Frank, time to retrain that muscle. Wait, what? They're moving it to the <laughs> bottom right of the Bottom screen? right. Why? Well, I don't know why. That I don't know. <laughs> I wish honestly, I it's rhetorical. I know, like, only they know why. why. No, I yeah. know, but why, right? It's like, like they took away the headphone jack. It was just annoying. Oh, right, let's we'll, not even go there. I'm we'll still not over that. that. I'm still not over that. Savannah, <laughs> now, great to see you. All right, turn our attention now back to the gaming space and watching shares of FanDuel parent flutter fall in overseas trade despite reporting a 76% surge in first-half-core earnings and its FanDuel business turning a profit. Our Contessa Brewer joins me now with much more and a special guest. Contessa, good morning. Frank, good to see you. Yeah, they reported first half this morning that FanDuel is structurally sound. They beat expectations in terms of EBITDA. That's the crucial gaming uh, metric. And average monthly pay players up 43%, revenue up 63%. With me this morning is Flutter CEO Peter Jackson, fresh off the earnings call. Mr. Jackson, great to see you this morning or later in the day there in Europe. Good morning. Good, good morning. Lovely to see you, Contessa. How are you? I'm I'm great. Thank you. I, I want to dive right in on market share because we've heard this from some of your competitors, very focused on how much market share they have in the United States. Flutter still comes at number a solid number one with 47 percent market share. But DraftKings gains are FanDuel's loss by just a couple percentage points. When you're looking at this, how important is capturing and retaining your players? 
Look, it's really, I mean, we're really pleased with the performance we've seen in the first half. It's a record market share for us across H1 in the online sports betting space. And we've actually taken share in iGaming as well, which we're particularly pleased about. I think from our perspective, you know, we've got the best product in the market, and that's what's most important to help us retain uh, those crucial customers. We acquired 2 million new customers in, in the half. And look, we're, we're, we're very pleased with, with the performance of the business. And you said multiple times on the call this morning that you were capturing 50% more uh, revenue in, from the handle than your competitors. How does your product play into that? Look, I think it's a really important point. You know, we've got nearly half the market, and for every dollar of handle, we capture 50% more revenue. The way we do that is that we're just much smarter in terms of the way in which we price our, our products. You know, all of the history we have, all the global capabilities, means that we're, we're much tighter and smarter around our pricing capability, and we have a much better product suite for, for customers. And those things on a combined basis mean that we capture you know, that 50% more revenue from every dollar of handle. And of course, in turn, we can invest that in further product development, additional sort of marketing you know, competences and capabilities and partnerships, and also into generosity for our customers. And that's what gets the flywheel going. And we're sure we'll you know, maintain our trajectory and momentum. Meanwhile, bombshell news uh, last night about Penn and ESPN tie-up. We just heard from our colleague at CNBC, Alex Sherman, about the Disney perspective on that. Can you weigh in here? I mean, number one, I know that there were talks with ESPN and FanDuel in the previous years about a tie-up. What's your sense of how much of an advantage your competitor Penn gets out of this deal with ESPN? Look, from, from our perspective, we've seen different competitors try and arrange themselves, you know, to try and, to try and take us on, right? You know, we, we're the number one player uh, in, the, in the U.S. market with the number one, you know, Fangio brand. We know how hard it is to operate a subscale uh, business. You know, this is all about scale in the U.S. It's why you see us with such a big uh, share and, you know, obviously DraftKings, uh, you know, behind us. Uh, and then there's a very, very long tail of small operators. And it's, it's a really tough market to be in. You know, the investments that are required to have a market-leading product are not straightforward. Uh, and I think, you know, people are scrabbling around trying to find ways uh, to get themselves out of that very long tail of operators. But, it, but running subscale businesses is not easy. You know, we tried it in the, in the U.S. and it was not an easy thing to do. Frank Hollenbeck at CNBC headquarters. Um, big of year for your stock, uh, up over 30 percent year to date. Uh, are you still considering a U.S. listing later this year or at the start of next year? And how does this news with ESPN, how does that impact your plans for your U.S. operations? We're, we're very excited about the progress we're making to, to attain that additional U.S. listing. And as we you know, stated in our release today, uh, I mean, progress remains on track. You know, we're preparing all the work we need to do uh, to file with the, with the SEC. And we hope that, you know, subject to, you know, to working through that, we'll be in place to have our additional you know, listing uh, in, in the States at the end of this year or very early next year. Our thanks to Peter Jackson, Flutter's CEO. Thank you very much. You know, Frank, Penn announces earnings this morning and then a call at 9 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll be on that call because there's right. going to be a lot of pressure on Penn to explain the math about this ESPN deal and how they get the numbers they think they're going to get. All right. Busy day in the gaming space. Contessa Brewer, I know you will be on top of it. Thank you again for bringing us that in. I sure will.
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Italy backtracking on yesterday's surprise announcement of a 40% windfall tax on profits of its biggest banks. That news sent those bank shares sinking. We speak with the New York Times' Kate Kelly on the new banking risk and if U.S. investors should be worried. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're getting back to gaming. J.P. Morgan moving DraftKings to neutral from overweight following the Penn ESPN deal. JPM says the stock overreaction to the downside from DraftKings up represents an upgrade opportunity. Shares of DraftKings down more than 6.5%. Stiefel downgrading shares of Datadog following yesterday's nearly 17% drop in that stock. Stiefel says management's conservative outlook makes rivals like MongoDB and Snowflake more attractive. Shares of Datadog down fractionally in the pre-market. And Jefferies upgrading shares of Eli Lilly to a buy, boosting its price target by nearly $200. Jefferies says outstanding results from a number of its pipeline drugs opens the door for broader payer adoption and potential CMS coverage. Taking a look at shares of Eli Lilly up fractionally in the pre-market. And time now for your global briefing. We begin with China dipping into deflation as efforts to boost the recovery of the world's second largest economy falter. Pressure is mounting for Beijing to announce more direct stimulus measures. Consumer prices dropping 0.3 percent on an annual basis in July. That is the first decline since February of 2021. President Biden is reportedly set to sign a new executive order today, banning private equity and venture capital investments in some Chinese tech companies dealing in chips, quantum computing and AI. And Italy will now limit the impact of its planned windfall tax on banks. The move by the government is an apparent backtrack after the surprise announcement this week that sparked a stock sell-off at its biggest banks in a bid to reassure markets. Rome now says proceeds from that tax will not amount to more than 0.1% of a lender's total assets. On the news, UBS for one now expects earnings erosion at between 5 and 9% for Italian diversified financials after cap from 20 to 27% yesterday. All right, bank stocks on both sides of the Atlantic getting hit over the past two days. From Italy's proposed windfall tax to Moody's downgrading several regional lenders and putting a slew of others on review. Let's talk more about all of this now with Kate Kelly, money and policy reporter at The New York Times and a CNBC contributor. Kate, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. So big headline here with that downgrade. But when you look at the stocks, the KB and the KRE still positive on the week. Chart shows a big decline, but still positive. What is this announcement about this downgrade? What does it mean for financials going forward? Well, I think what it tells us and the market reaction yesterday tells us that these mid-sized and small banks continue to be on shaky footing, at least in the eyes of investors. And and it's a, a realistic fear because we continue to be in an inflationary environment, right? The Fed has continued to hike after slowing in June for, for a moment there. And, you know, the cost of capital is rising. And there are a lot of concerns about whether these banks are prepared to weather a, a recessionary situation or a continued inflationary situation. Um, they also have exposure in areas like commercial real estate that have continued to be a little bit troubled. And uh, I think people are not ready to breathe a sigh of relief quite yet. So I think this was just an excuse for investors to sort of project some of their anxieties about the regional banks and some of the other more troubled lenders uh, onto the stock market. Yeah, so you mentioned the regional banks, and certainly there's a lot of anxiety about them, concerns about deposits moving Um, just competition from the bigger banks. But there's also that warning about the bigger banks that are generally seen to be pretty solvent. So why did we see that sell off in the bigger banks? 
Well, I think there are other matters affecting the bigger banks uh, that need to be considered. For example, in late July, uh, the Fed's vice chair of supervision, Michael Barr, announced that he was planning to tighten up the capital requirements on banks. This, of course, would affect the smaller and mid-sized banks as well, because one thing he wanted to do was raise the threshold of, of the need to have tighter capital requirements from $100 billion in assets to, I'm sorry, to 100 billion in assets from 700, right? So you're you're capturing a wider swath of banks there. But the larger banks are still also going to face uh, continued and possibly tightened capital requirements. And there is concern that they may be exposed to continuing headwinds in the economy. We kind of don't know what's going to happen in Washington, although it seems like the energy toward true and significant banking reform on Capitol Hill has kind of fizzled since the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and the banking tumult of months ago. I want to touch on the Italy news. Italy obviously backtracking on the, the extent of the windfall tax, but windfall taxes are nothing new in Europe. This headline, does it have any real impact on the U.S. financial system? I I think it's something that the more progressive type reformists like an Elizabeth Warren may look at with interest, but it probably has no political uh, chance here in Washington. Um, I I just don't see us levying a European style um, profit tax on on our large banks in the United States. I don't think there's appetite in the White House, which wants to just see the economy slow and steady and is focused on other issues at the moment. And I don't think we have uh, sort of standard bearers in Congress who have the political support to get something done. You've got a Republican Congress, obviously, and and you've got a a Democratic-dominated Senate, but I just think they have other priorities on the agenda this year. So I don't think we'll see that. But it is a reminder of how government can step in and tighten the grip on banks when when the need seems to present itself. And that need arises when you have bank failures, depositors losing their shirts potentially and market leeriness. So it's something to watch. But I think it's early innings before any major reform. Certainly a lot to watch. Kate Kelly, The New York Times. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first. Well, my next guest says investors should be looking for results, not just promises in the recent AI mania. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up right after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap up. We begin with WeWork shares plunging on a warning over whether the company can stay in business. The company, which peaked at a $47 billion valuation, is now set to open up with a market cap below $400 million. You can see shares are down 15% right now in the pre-market. Amazon is reportedly in talks about joining technology companies like Intel and NVIDIA to become an anchor investor in SoftBank's upcoming ARM IPO. We're also watching shares of Rivian this morning after the automaker reported a narrower-than-expected Q2 loss and a 59% increase in vehicle deliveries, also raising its full-year production guidance. Those shares up almost 2%. Lyft giving back all of yesterday's gains, initially popping on a solid earnings report and upbeat sales guidance, but then dipping after the company hinted of a renewed price war with rival Uber. Uh, Shares right there, you can see, down almost 8%. And a lucky player in Florida winning the estimated $1.5 billion Mega Millions jackpot last night, ending the nearly four-month stretch with no winners and marking the largest jackpot prize in U.S. history. All right, markets are poised for a higher open. Following a rough day for Wall Street yesterday, futures right now, as you can see, are in the green across the board. But my next guest has likely is seeing a few speed bumps for stocks that are pretty high on her radar. Victoria Green, founding partner and chief investment officer 
at G Squared Private Wealth, as well as a CNBC contributor. And she joins me now. Vicky, it is always great to see you. Thanks, Frank. All right. So you see some speed bumps. Correct me if I'm wrong. Fitch downgrade of U.S. credit rating, Moody's on banks. Those seem like some speed bumps already, but often they say these things come in threes. What do you see coming up in the near future? <laughs> well, I see us hitting this macro headwinds that, that we've seen the PMIs and manufacturing continue to go down. LEIs are still down and everybody's acting like these macro headwinds and there's no recession coming. So whenever you're priced to perfection like the markets are, any bad news, sticky inflation, hawkish Fed tends to be a little bit harder for the market to digest because there's not a lot of wiggle room on the upside. So anytime you see something and my concerns on sticky inflation are housing is continuing to be extremely expensive. Gasoline and energy prices may be ticking up again. I know core kind of strips out food and gas, but I think those pressures might put upward pressure on this nice deceleration in CPI and PCEs. PCE that we've seen and just might have to pause on this whole narrative that the Fed's not going to go in September. Okay. So I, I want to play off that for a minute because you're leading us towards C- <laughs> CPI, which is tomorrow. Right now we're seeing futures very solidly in the green. Um, when you look on CME, more than 85% chance of no hike. So how influential is that CPI report, not only to today's market, but for the rest of this week? Oh, hugely influential. Um, we're going to have to see if it has continued this downward trend or if it gets a little bit stuck. And that's going to dictate September's still a long way out. We've got a couple, a lot more data drops between now and September. No August meeting. Fed's going to be hanging out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, so we have to see what this, you know, and, and how it digests it. But yeah, absolutely. Sticky inflation here kind of takes away that narrative that, that no, it's, it's not priced in for one more hike, that we're completely done here. Uh, and the Fed is, is right. going to start being a little more accommodative. But the bank downgrade, that kind of hit the markets yesterday, but we're seeing them pop right back up again, as we mentioned, futures in the green. Is that confidence that inflation is under control and that CPI is either going to come in line or cooler? I think it's just this Teflon market. You know, we've we've had this market shrug off a lot of bad macro news and it has continued to go upward on optimism. Uh, and I think at some point, all of these downgrades are going to matter. They're going okay. to to start dragging on profits. And that's the problem. Have we hit peak debt interest income? You're seeing deposit costs rise. Regulatory requirements continue to rise, continuing to crimp what they're doing on the lending side, which will continue to crimp revenue growth. It's not that they're not profitable. That's not what they're saying. They're just saying, hey, we are seeing some headwinds to growing your profits. Well, Vicky, we want to hear what you're saying. What is your WEX word of the day? A Shakespearean. I see this market as potentially a Shakespearean tragedy. Think of Allah, Hamlet, or Macbeth, you know, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. And so I think uh, investors need to be a little bit wary for a plot twist in the markets right now when we're priced where we are. All right. Before we let you go, can you give us a play for today? Where's a, a, what's a company, ETF, a stock that you'd put your money in today, knowing all these possible uh, speed bumps that might be on the road ahead? Yeah. I think it's fascinating what Penn's doing with Disney right now. Uh, I think that that's a big upside for them. They're getting rid of Barstool Sports. I think it's wonderful when a country can say, I'm not going to get uh, anchored to this sunk cost. This partnership isn't working for me. We're going to go ahead, buy you out, go back to David Courtney, and we're going to pivot to this wonderful partnership with ESPN Bet. That's a huge brand name for them. You know, we were wondering how this was going to play on earnings. So Penn is one I'm watching. And then I still love my Zoitis. Okay. Victoria Green, we got to leave the conversation there. Always great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you for watching. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. 
Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 